0: All right, so welcome to week five in this Remix series. Um, We have been talking about how messy it is to come back together, right? So we knew that eventually we'd be coming back into the building. We're about a month away from that happening. Um, But when we do start to come back, not only are we coming back into the building physically, but after all that's gone on, right, in our, in our city, in our country, in our culture, there is literally a remixing of people, and it's so what the gospel is all about, right? So let's just do a quick recap of what we've learned to this point. A remix is a new sound from an old song, right? It's not better than the old song. As a matter of fact, if you didn't have the original song in the remix, you don't have a remix. What you have is... new song, right? So we're not trying to rewrite the gospel. What we're doing is we're bringing a new sound to the old song. And if you remember in week one, we learned this. From the very beginning, God's plan was to fill the empty spaces with his glory. Do you remember what he said to Adam and Eve when he created them in the garden before sin ever even had a place in the world? God said this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Here's what he was saying. Listen, my, my plan is to fill the whole world with my glory. And so I have created you in my image. I have filled you with my, with my presence, with my glory. And everywhere you go, as you multiply and fill the earth, you're going to fill the earth with my glory, right? And so what we learned in that first week is anywhere we see in culture, anywhere that we see a place where there's a gap, between what, what God would want to see and what we're experiencing, we're supposed to actually step into that gap and fill it with his glory. If we see a space, we're supposed to fill that place with his glory. Second week, we talked about the cross, and we talked about how the cross actually crosses out division. We looked at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, which says that Jesus demolished the wall that kept the Jews and the Gentiles apart. See, when, when Jesus came to the cross, God's plan was to bring the two together into one. The last two weeks, what have we have been talking about? We've been talking about creeds. Um, creeds are guiding principles, right? We talked about, like, what are they and what is the purpose of creeds? Creeds are just fundamental beliefs. They're foundational statements of belief. We said they're guiding principles. The example that I've used so often is the Panthers. They have a two-word creed that you'll hear on any given Sunday at Bank of America Stadium in the fall. You'll hear the, the crowd yell, keep pounding. And that's just a two-word creed that brings the fan base back together and unifies them around the team that they're all there to support. Now listen, a little quick aside here. This past week, the Patriots Sign Cam Newton. It's crazy to think that Cam Newton is going to play for another team. And we might not agree with how the Panthers handled that, but when the fall comes around, if there's football and if we're there, we might find ourselves yelling, keep pounding. And in that moment, we're not worried about this, what they did with Cam, what they didn't do with Cam. What we're thinking about is, we've got to win this game. It's a unifying creed. It reminds us, we talked about last week, what matters most. And who matters most, right? Creeds are like a touchstone. They're something that we can keep coming back to so that we can grow in the faith. They're not meant to be comprehensive. They're just meant to be clear, and they're meant to be common. Now, that's a lot to think about, right, to get us kind of to this place today where what I want us to do is start talking about the most famous creed in the church, and it's called the Apostles' Creed. Now, for some of us, if we were raised in maybe the Methodist church or in a church that used creeds, I was raised in a Methodist church. I knew the Apostles' Creed because we said it, it felt like, every single week. For some of you, you're like, the Apostles, what? You've never even heard of the Apostles' Creed. It's 105 words that summarizes everything in the Christian faith. And this morning, what I want us to see is that this creed has helped followers for years stay together in what they believed. And I believe that they can help us as well. So here's what's going to happen. We're going to just walk through the creed. I'm going to tell you what it is, all 105 words. And we're just going to learn a little history about the creed. And then we're going to talk about a few of the phrases this week. And then next week, we'll talk about the rest of them. Let me remind you before we jump in creeds are not meant to be overwhelming. They're not meant to make you feel like you don't know what you're doing. Like they're so, they were written for common people like me and like you, right? So that we could know what we believe, even if we couldn't understand everything that the theologians were talking about. These are theology. These are doctrine. This is doctrine. And when we learn these 105 words, you're going to know everything that Christians need to know about the gospel. So don't be intimidated. Let's jump in and learn a little bit of Apostles Creed 101. First, it wasn't written by the apostles. The apostles, um, people actually believed for a long time that the apostles, there were 12 of them, and there's 12 sections in the Apostles Creed. And for a long time, people thought that one apostle wrote each of those sections. And then years later, they, they've studied, they've realized that that wasn't actually what happened, but it was still called the Apostles' Creed because this creed summarizes in a really concise fashion everything that the apostles wrote about, everything that the apostles, the apostles taught about. And so that's why it's called the Apostles' Creed. It was seen as a defense of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when you learned this, You were learning how to defend the gospel. And when we take these words to heart, when we learn these words now, we are defending the gospel. 105 words, here they are. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day, he rose again, and he ascended into heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. That's the Apostles' Creed, all 105 words of it. The first time it's ever really mentioned in in history and in ancient literature was in a letter that was written to the Pope in 390 A.D. And the Creed, the Apostles' Creed, is believed to be a statement against heresy, a heresy that was known as Gnosticism, right? So here's some facts about Gnosticism. Gnostics saw the world as as separate. So they saw it as there's good and there's bad. There's spirit, which is good, and there's matter like the dirt, the trees, the flowers, your body, my body, and they saw that as bad. They saw that there's Christ, which was the the divine spark from God, and then there was Jesus, which was the bad human body that that spark was in. They believed that there was a father God who was like the New Testament God, but they couldn't conceive of any way that a good God could have created such evil matter like our world and our bodies. And so they believed that in the Old Testament, they, they called him a demiurge, like a, a smaller God that was evil, and he created the world. Right? They, they, what they did was they took the world and they split everything up. And that's so much like what we see today, right? We're being split apart. And so what I want you to remember is this. The gospel brings things together. Heresy splits things apart, right? So the word became flesh. God became man. Two Jews, Gentiles, become one. This is what the gospel does. But Gnostics believe that everything should be separated good versus bad, spirit versus matter. The gospel, the Gnostics believe this, that God didn't create the world because a holy God would never create something that they considered evil. Gnostics taught that Christ only appeared to become a man, but he didn't really, and he didn't really suffer and he didn't die. They didn't believe that he really resurrected. As a matter of fact, this is a little bit weird, but when you study Gnosticism, they believed that Christ the divinity, was in Jesus, the body, and then on the way to the cross, Christ jumped out of Jesus because God would never go to the cross, and so Jesus went to the cross, didn't really die, and then he didn't really rise again, and Christ was in heaven when all that was happening to Jesus, and it's just like, what? I mean, do you find yourself scratching your head going, like, who came up with this stuff? And it's because... Much of the wording in the creed, what you're going to see is as we go through this, much of the wording in the creed was actually used to specifically address those errors. Here's your big idea. The Apostles' Creed helps ground us in truth and guard us from error. You see that? It's going to help ground us in truth, and it's going to help to guard us from error. They would repeat what they knew to be true, and repeating that truth helped them to recognize error. And That's what we're going to learn today. The next two Sundays, we're going to take a look at each of these sections. This morning, I want us to talk about the first two big sections, one section that talks about God the Father and one that talks about Jesus. So let's just walk through this quickly. Here's the first section of the Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. When I say that the Father is also the maker, then I allow every view of creation to call me into an intimate relationship with the creator. Now, listen again, Gnosticism. Gnostics did not believe that God the Father created anything. And so when the early church starts off this creed with, time out, Gnostics, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. What they're saying is, I serve a father who was willing, not just he didn't create a mess, he created perfection. And we jacked that up. And I still believe in a good father and I still believe in a good maker of heaven and earth. Romans 1.20 says that creation testifies of the creator, that every time you and I step outside the door and we look up into the sky, the sky is screaming about a maker, a God who is a maker and a God who wants to be a father to us. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. We affirm that Jesus is the Messiah. He wasn't just a human body. He was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. John 3.16, is, he is the Son sent for the children who went astray. Our Father sent his Son for us. We acknowledge that. We affirm that in the creed. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Next section. This is all describing Jesus, right? Like it's one thing to say, yeah, I believe in this guy named Jesus. I've heard that name before. But the creed starts to lay out facts about Jesus that are so important to the faith, y'all. So I don't just believe in Jesus Christ, the only son. I believe he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the virgin Mary. Listen, gnostics could not understand how a holy God would become part of such a corrupt world, and so they had to come up with a doctrine that made it less messy. And can I just give you the best news of all? We serve a God who is not afraid of our mess. He he could have created the world perfectly, watched us jack it all up, and he could have just stepped back and washed his hands of it all and said, well, I tried, but y'all messed it up, so good luck. And the Gnostics believed that. They were like, hey, the spirit part of us is, is worth, is, is savable, but the flesh isn't. And yet we read all through scripture, don't we? In Romans, what did Paul say? That the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is giving life to, what what is it, my mortal body? This actual flesh is being brought back to life because of the Spirit of God. And so when we say that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, what we're saying is we acknowledge and affirm that we serve a God who stepped out of heaven and into our mess in order to be near us and to save us. The heart of the gospel is Emmanuel, God with us. John 1:14, one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible says that the word became human and made his home with us. Your version may say that the word became flesh. I love how the, the message says, it says the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Listen, we serve a God. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what kind of mess you're facing right now, but you could be sitting in your house right now thinking, if they only knew who I was, what I've done, what I've thought, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. And I want you to know this, that God knows who you are, what you've done, things you've thought, and he still took on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. If you hear somebody tell you that Jesus wasn't God, that God didn't come in flesh, you know immediately this is not the doctrine of the church. We believe in Jesus, born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. The next section says that he suffered under Pontius Pilate. I love how the early church fathers included a section in this creed that's historical. You can actually Google Pontius Pilate. You can find historical documents of him causing a man named Jesus to suffer. Like this is tied to a point in history. Jesus is not a myth. He is not a fairy tale. We can actually access records of a man named Jesus who we now know because he Rose again is God Almighty. He is the Messiah. That Jesus was, the next phrase, crucified, dead, and buried. Gnostics believe this. They believe that the divine part of Jesus left before the cross, never died, never rose again. But 1 Corinthians 15, 14, Paul says in no uncertain terms that the resurrection of Jesus is a non-negotiable for the faith. He said, if Christ has not risen from the dead, then neither will we. And if we don't rise from the dead, our faith is useless. There have been so many men throughout the history of time who have tried to defeat Christianity simply by proving that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And all of those men have come to faith in Christ because they could not disprove the resurrection. Our faith hinges on that fact. And when we say he was crucified, dead, and buried, what we're saying is that we know he rose again. He ascended into heaven, right? And sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He ascended into heaven. He rose from that grave and ascended into heaven. Now, before we bring this to a close, let me just tell you this. Some of the later forms of the Apostles' Creed include four more words. They say he ascended into heaven, he, he descended into hell, he ascended into heaven. And so some, some of the creeds say it descended into hell and some don't. And so here's why we don't include it in the creed that we're learning now. It's simply because creeds are unifying. They're unifying statements that all of us can agree on. I know believers who think that on Saturday between the crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus went to hell. And I know some who don't believe that. The truth of the matter is both of those people are going to be in heaven someday, right? Because they're trusting Jesus for their salvation. So we don't have that in this creed because we don't want to put things in the creed that we can't all agree on, right? There's nothing that we've said to this point that every Christian on the planet wouldn't stand up and say amen to that, right? So just know that some, early, some later forms included it, but the early forms did not. Not everyone We'll agree, but we can all agree on everything that we've said to this point. What I want you to know is that today, because he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty right now, right now, Jesus is at the right hand of God, and the Bible says that he makes intercession for you and for me. Just think about that. Think about the people that you call when you have a problem. The people that you text and say, "How to get you shoot a quick shoot a quick prayer for me." And 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 you're calling people, which is good, but as we pray down here at the right hand of God, Jesus is interceding for you right now. He's interceding for that problem that you can't quite overcome. He's saying to the Father right now, "God, I, I, Father, I'm asking you on on their behalf." that you would give them the strength to, come, to overcome that addiction, that you would set them free from whatever's holding them back. He is praying for you right now. The heartache that you feel, he feels. He's praying for you. He's making intercession for us right now. And then the last phrase that we're going to talk about today says this, And from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. Listen, y'all. Jesus may be seated, but he's not going to stay seated. And I want to end this morning calling your attention to that. Jesus is coming again, and he will come this time, not as a baby in a manger, but he will come riding on a stallion. He will have the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords on his side. He will come as the victorious judge, and he will make one judgment of all of us. What have we done in regards to who he says he is? See, he ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, but he's not going to stay there. Someday he's going to come back from that place to judge the living and to judge the dead. And I want to end this morning's message by calling you clearly to make a decision about how what you believe will affect how you live. See, we can't just, and I was guilty of this. When I was a little boy going to Methodist Church, I memorized the creed because you had to memorize the creed to be, become a member of the church. You, you memorized it because you said it all the time. It's why, so many years later, I can still remember that creed, right? Because we said it all the time. But I was guilty of just memorizing words, y'all. But when you really stop and think about this, Believing these things changes the way we live. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. If I believe that God made everything, then you know what that means? It means that I'm going to honor him in the way that he made me. I'm going to honor him as part of his creation. If I really believe that Jesus is interceding for me right now, if he sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty and he's making intercession for me, then I'm going to live in a way that believes that Jesus' prayers are actually making a difference. Y'all, it's hard to believe that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God making intercession for me and still live in fear and panic. What we believe affects how we live. And then finally, if we believe that he's coming again, then we're going to live with the urgency of eternity. We're going to have conversations about eternity. We're going to live our lives in light of the fact that he's going to return. And I want you to know this. Today is the day of salvation. I want you to call on the name of Jesus, and I want you to know that when you do, you will be saved. Because the second phrase we looked at today says that Jesus is his only son, our Lord. Lord. And I want to shoot straight with you today. When we say the creed, and we say that we believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, it means that our lives are bowing to Him. What He says is what we will do. Speak, Lord. Your servant listens, right? And I want you to evaluate your life. The the team is going to lead us in a song right now. It's called, Oh, Come to the Altar. It's a perfect song for the ending of this message. And I want to challenge you and call you clearly. Would you make an altar where you are right now? Would you make an altar in your home? Maybe, maybe this is when you get on your knees, right? Would you make a place where you can confess to God, I don't want to just say that I believe these things, but I want believing them to change how I live. I want this creed to to ground me in truth and guard me from error. And I don't want to say it and then not live it. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today is the day to do that. If you have affirmed belief in Jesus and today just hearing us teach these first few parts of the Apostles' Creed has challenged you, wait a second, I'm not living a life that matches what I'm saying I believe. Then this is the time for you to repent. And ask God to forgive you. And he said in First John 1, 9 that when we, when we do that, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. I want you to find a place. I want you to do that now as the band comes and leads us.
1: come to calling.
0: So God, I thank you for those that have pray- been praying as the band has sung and led us, God, and here we are at the altar with you. And I'm so thankful, God, that you are not a, fa- a father who is far away, that you don't listen to us as we ask you for forgiveness, as we ask you to cleanse our hearts. For some of us, as we call on you for the first time and ask you to save us. You don't listen to all that and just step away and go, sorry, nope, too messy for me. I I can't handle that. You proved in Christ when you sent your son that you were willing to step into our mess so that you could save us from it. And I thank you, God, right now, all across the county, in states, across our country, people are calling on you to save them and you are doing it and we thank you for it in your name jesus amen so thanks again for being a part of our online worship service this morning Um, listen if you prayed to receive christ We want to stay in touch with you. And so there's a number and a keyword below me right now. I just want to invite you to text that keyword to that number so we can get back in touch with you. We just want to walk with you, right? This whole journey is about walking in community together with each other as we follow Jesus. And so I want to say, hey, welcome to the team, right? Welcome to the family. We're following Jesus together. Um, Church, we're excited about this Wednesday night. We'll be back in the building for prayer and for worship. And you know, we're only about a month away from coming back together on August the 2nd to be here in the building live at 9 and 11. We can't wait to worship with each one of you. There'll be more announcements this week. Make sure you're following all of us on on all of our socials so that you can hear all the information. We love you guys. We hope you have a fantastic rest of the day. We'll see you next Sunday.